This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. Welcome back to another Speak Sunderland Reaction podcast. Sunderland were back in league action on Friday evening, facing Joey Barton's Fleetwood Town, a game which finished 1-1, which today we have learned that it was the final straw for Phil Parkinson, who was sacked this evening, and we will talk in depth about that later on tonight. But joining me tonight to di- discuss the Sunderland performance is John and James. Fellas, how are you getting on? You doing well? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, not James. too bad. Bit of, a, bit of a busy one today, but... yeah. So obviously, first time on for you, James. How are you finding life in lockdown and obviously only being able to watch the game on the stream? Yeah, not bad. I, I do miss football, but um, there are more important things in life, allegedly. So, yeah, um, yeah not too bad. Hope, uh, thankfully, my family are, um, are safe and well. My mother did uh, contract coronavirus, but she's all fine now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty relaxed at the moment. Very good. Um, joining us tonight is also Fleetwood supporter Ben, or better known as the creator of the CODS Vlogs YouTube channel. Ben, how are you getting on your well? Very good, mate, and thank you for having me on. No worries, no worries. Um, obviously, Friday's draw meant Sunderland had now gone five games without a win and picked up only two wins from their previous nine in all competition. And James, you know, given the form that we were in prior to Friday's game, um, obviously, we learned that Gooch had picked up an injury and would be missing. How did you feel going into the game? Were you at all confident of getting a result? Um, as a, a lifelong Sutherland fan, I don't think I'm ever confident about getting a result <laughs> in, in any game ever. Uh, especially not against Joy Barton and Fleetwood Town, because we haven't beaten them since we came down to the third yeah. tier. So I wasn't overly confident, especially the way the team had been playing. Gooch out was a blow. I still think... Parkinson's back five was makeshift and didn't really look that great. So it was nice to take the lead, but I wasn't surprised that they pegged us back at all. Yeah. Um, we will look at the teams that started the game, and we will, of course, start with Fleetwood. Um, Luke Weiler starting goal. Callum Connolly, Charlie Mulgrew, formerly of Blackburn, I believe. Thomas Edwards, Wes Burns, Danny Andrew, Jordan Rossiter, Sam Finley, Paddy Madden, Callum Camps and Josh Morris. And Ben, looking at the Fleetwood side that started the game, was there any changes made or not made that you were surprised about? No, obviously we won the last game 5-1 five, five, and the game before 4-1. There was a couple of changes from that 4-1 game to a 3 Finn, uh, Obviously, Rosser uh, came back into the side. But from the side that we played, you, there was no changes. We went up on a high. And again, we had the same bench. And I think also... The five subs that we brought on in the Plymouth game, we brought on against you as well. So, um, pretty much it was all the same, but we didn't score five, we only scored the one. Mm. Obviously, Chet Evans, is, you know, he scores goals in this league, but he was he was on the bench for yesterday's game, and I believe he was, and he has been recently. But do you think that's the right decision? Obviously, Chet Evans, every time I've watched him play, he looks a threat. He came on, he made things happen against Sunderland. Is he a player you'd like to see start more often for Fleetwood? Um, yeah, um, absolutely. And Chen Evans offers something that I don't think many strikers can do in this division. And is what's so good about him is in Paddy Madden, we've got a striker who can run the channels, can get in behind, can score goals, and really create those chances. And he'll run hard. But the thing is with Evans, when they play together, 
Evans can hold it up while Madden can run the channel. So both of them get the best out of each other. And that's what's so good about him. He scores 10, 15 goals a season. His work ethic's always there. I think he's a fantastic player, fantastic attitude. And he got 17 in his first season. I think he got, what, it sounds like 11 last year. So he is a, a goal scorer at this level. And uh, I, I, one, one player that I'm glad we've got, uh, especially now on a permanent deal. And I think he's something that Sunderland may miss. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, you know, I don't think we really have a goal scorer, at least under Parkinson. And James, I've, you know, I've said this to John, I've said it to many people. Will Grigg always gets criticism and a lot of people say we don't have a goal scorer. And I always look at Will Grigg and look at the stats in this league under when he played for Wigan, when he played for MK Duns. Do you think Will Grigg is a goal scorer that's just not being used correctly or do you think he's kind of past it now? Oh bloody hell! It's like it's like the chicken and the egg question. That is the, the, <laughs> which which comes first? Is it the service or is it Will Griggs? <laughs> I think it's probably a little bit of both. Will Griggs' probably best performance for us came against Bristol Rovers in the Checker Trade Trophy yeah. um, game, where he scored. Max Power got close to him that night, managed to thread a ball into him, and he turned and, and finished well. That's probably the best he's looked for us. And him and Max Power did play together at Wigan, so that's probably no coincidence. Max Power doesn't seem to get that close to him um, playing in this system. Seems to be a lot deeper, yeah. Yeah, he does seem to be a lot deeper. So, But then again, you look at Will Griggs' body language and he doesn't look great. But then again, my colleague at the Sunderland Echo, Mark Donnelly, spoke to one of his youth coaches growing up and he says he's always been like that. Mm. So it's really it's really difficult. And I think Griggs' body language is, is hard for Sunderland fans to take because it's just it's not an hour makeup. You know, yeah. we used to we used to players running around clattering people like Kevin Ball yeah. and Lee Patamol and, and Gary Bennett and stuff like that. So it's very difficult to say. I, what I will say is that I think he's a confidence player and I think his confidence yeah. is on the floor at the moment. And you know, the the first um the Carabao Cup game against Hull this you know, yeah. he he did well. He had a couple of goals disallowed. So it is really difficult to say, and you just hope that you know, takeover or no takeover or sporting director, new manager or whatever, that perhaps they can get the best out of him at some point. But it's one of those where you don't hold your breath because we haven't seen much evidence to suggest that he will come good. Yeah. Um, Sunderland lined up like this on Friday. Obviously, Remy Matthews started in goal. Luke O'Neill, Bailey Wright, Conor McLaughlin, Tom Flanagan and Denver Hume. Grant Ledbetter and Josh Scone played in midfield. Chris Maguire and Danny Graham and Charlie White started up front. Obviously, we heard the news that Gooch would be out for a few weeks and, you know, people on Twitter especially were looking at the well, at the silver lining, I suppose, of that saying it's an opportunity for Embledon, Jack Diamond to show what they can do. And I think I've applied the one of Conor Bromley's tweets jokingly saying it means nothing, he'll bring Danny Graham instead. And that's exactly what Parkinson did on Friday. And, and John, with the decisions Parkinson's made in recent weeks that we've questioned every week, were you at all surprised to see just well to see that Graham started and a change of formation? You know, we always say the changes he does make seem to be like for like changes, but this one certainly wasn't, was it? No, it was uh, it was a little bit different. Um, but I think again he's just gone with with an older trusted head in Graham. He hasn't set the world alight and he just doesn't seem to trust um any of the youngsters to go into a game that's sort of meaningful as opposed to, you know, the, the Fleetwood one previously where he played all the youngsters and they did well or or the, um, the other checker trade, um, the other cup game, sorry. So, yeah, he didn't really, he doesn't really trust the youngsters, does he? Doesn't seem to. He doesn't seem to, certainly. But um, Chris Maguire, obviously he started again and he's had what I would class as a, as a difficult season so, so far. 
And, you know, I don't think he did too much again on Friday. But, James, what do you think that comes down to? Obviously, we know what he's capable of. We know he can score from anywhere. We can create something from anywhere. But he just hasn't been doing it this season, yet, has he? No, he hasn't. And that's kind of been a, a theme of Chris Maguire's Sutherland career that he has, a bit like Adam McGeady in a sense, is he has long hot spells and then he has long dry spells as well. But I do think possibly he's a little bit stifled in this system. And Yeah, under, under Parkinson, he, it's not exactly or wasn't exactly free-flowing attacking football and Maguire mm. wasn't seeing a lot of the ball. But then again, he probably had to be a bit more effective with it when he did have it. So, it's again, it's it's a, it's another sort of Will Grigg situation. It's really difficult to say. I'll be interested, interested to see how he does when the new manager comes in, which yeah. position he plays. And because remember under Ross as well, he was playing as a striker sometimes. He was off the striker, he was on the right, he's on the left. And the sort of the same thing, well, in, you know, in the middle as well, the same yeah. thing sort of happened under Parkinson. He's been shunted around a bit few injuries as well but I just wonder about World class is a is a difficult season so, so far and you know I don't... he's getting you know towards 32 33 perhaps I just wonder if he's you know he's got the the natural fitness levels required as he as he moves into the latter stages of his career it's it's one to keep an eye on I think yeah and John again just on Chris Maguire what what do you think his best position is in this team obviously we've seen him at least under Parkinson Parkinson seems to favour him kind of as that attacking midfielder Obviously played behind Danny Graham, behind Charlie White, but under Jack Ross, as far as what, what I could see, he always seemed to be off on one of the wings. Obviously, Gooch was on the other side. What do you think is Maguire's best position to get the best out of him? Uh, I think he needs a bit of a, a free roll. Um, and this this system, you would have thought, would be perfect for that if you had Ledbetter and Scowen almost sitting. Um, but out of the two on, on Friday, it seemed to be Scowen that was look to more to create something than Maguire. If you saw Maguire on Friday, he was, the amount of times he came inside our half and pinged it out to um, the right back, and it's, he's just not effective there at all. The the most effective place is when he scored against Portsmouth, is in around that box, just let him hover, yeah. let him have a bit of a free roll, and as long as we've got the players to cover, which in the system we should have, instead of wasting like a Danny Graham up there, then that's 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 where I would play him, and that's why I think he, he would suit best. Yeah. Um, the game got underway, and I think it's fair to say Sunderland probably started the better side. Um, Luke Nine was involved quite a lot again. He's put some good balls into the box, but we didn't take advantage. And I think it was around halfway into the first half. Scoring went down under pressure in the Fleetwood box and, and led the shout to a penalty, but nothing was given. And John, you look at the you look at the penalty we conceded against MK Dons, which was very soft. Then um, last week, a Stonewall penalty was waved away against Doncaster. And then another good shout yesterday, sorry, on Friday for a penalty. Firstly, do you think that was a penalty? And secondly, you know, is it too much to ask for some consistency from the referees in this league? Uh, yeah, consistency is what, what you want. Like we said, when we didn't get the the one last week. Um, and obviously Max Power's been been punished in our one. That's that's all we're looking for is consistency. I thought our one at first look, I thought Scowan tripped over, which is probably what the ref sees. And obviously us looking back. There is a bit of contact, and it, in this day and age, it probably is a penalty. Um, but the referee has seen it in, in in real time, so it probably doesn't look like it like it was to most of us when we saw it back. That's when then you thought, yeah, it probably probably is a penalty. Yeah, and Ben, what was your view on the incident? Obviously, it was it was very soft, but you've seen them given in this league, haven't you? Absolutely. And when I, when I was streaming myself, I said I went I went get up. Then I looked back and I thought. That's a pen. That is a pen. And, but 
I think I remember Fleetwood having one with Evans, and I think if yours is given, I think ours has got to be given. So I think yeah. it works both ways. I think Parkinson missed that. I think those. I watched the interview. I always watch the interview after the, the after the game with the manager, and I thought slope on the pitch. I thought. I thought, <laughs> and I thought this is a man that's endangering. He's yeah. trying to save himself here, but I thought maybe, maybe not. I did think probably a penalty, but if yours is given, I think. Ours is Stonewall, in my opinion. Yeah. And well, outside of that, I don't think much happened in the first half, which, you know, given the possession and play that Sunderland, the Sunderland had, it was somewhat disappointing. But half-time arrived at 0-0, and James, we, we usually drop off at half-time. Um, second half, we seem to come out a completely different team. But at half-time, especially 15-minute break, with how we'd played in the first half, did you think Sunderland would go on and maybe push for a winner, push for a second goal, or... You know, were you kind of wary of recent results, recent second half performances, and did you think it would have been a draw? Yeah, for sure. Always wary of Sunderland defending a one 0 lead. Sunderland defending a two or three 0 lead. I'm always wary of. To be honest, it's just the Sunderland thing to do is to blow a lead, especially under Phil Parkinson. So I wasn't confident at all. And to be honest, I mean, you can analyse the game and against Fleetwood and all that and the tactics between the two managers but it was an awful watch I really took yeah. no no pleasure in that game obviously you're into it because I'm a, a Sunderland fan and you know I work for the Sunderland Echo so you want to do well you want the team to do well but I just when I was watching it I was thinking this this is just really really awful so I didn't have much confidence in the second half and you could have written the script because that's what happens under Parkinson and, and Fleetwood yeah. deserved Fleetwood deserved that equaliser in my eyes because Sunderland just dropped off and didn't perform in the second half yeah as we say, in the second half arrived, we dropped off, tempo dropped and, you know, we struggled to mount any kind of attack. But 60 minutes into the game, Flanagan did what Flanagan likes to do. He's hoofed the ball over the top, over the top of the Fleetwood defence and Charlie Wikes gambled. Um, he's beat the keeper to the ball and he's ended up heading into an empty net to give Sunderland the lead. And John, one of the reasons we lack goals, at least under Parkinson, is primarily down to our strikers not gambling and, you know, not putting themselves in the position where they could potentially get hurt. Well, that's exactly what he did yesterday, and he deserved the award for it, didn't he? Yeah, he did definitely. Um, I, I thought he, he did a lot more work than uh, than Danny Graham did. Uh, but we've seen um, Charlie White obviously doing um, the the dirty work, if you see what I mean, when he's up front because yeah. he's not he's not an absolute out and out goal scorer. And he did actually have a few chances, but he's he's stuck his head in there. Which, if you'd have seen some of our other players on Friday night, they. They weren't sticking their heads in there. I didn't think yeah. any, but fair, fair play to him for chasing it down and, and getting his head in there. Yeah. And Ben, obviously, Sunderland went 1-0 up um, and they did against Fleetwood a couple of weeks back in the Papa John's Trophy. And I hate to say that word because it's just such a Tim Punt trophy. But obviously, the game finished 2-1 uh, a few weeks ago in that trophy. With half an hour to go and 1-0 down, how did you feel? Um, Don't be, but I knew we'd get back into the game because... That's the that's calibre we've got in our dressing room. And we have brought Evans on, but we've still got Coots, Whelan, Duffy, uh, all on the bench that we could bring on, really, and Mackay as well. And I, I thought Sunderland, they do what Phil Parkinson sides do. They'll loof it up, hope for the best with Danny Graham and Charlie Wykewood, two big men who's prolific in the Championship and League One. And then after that, I felt, I felt the first six minutes were all you. Then after that, I felt we responded in a good manner. I felt mm. that we responded to the challenge well. I think before we scored, I think we had four bites to the cherry where one, it was blocked by your defender just before the goal line. Then it was blocked. 
and your keeper made a save, then I think he like the stanchion behind the, the goal. And then, yeah. see, we, we did get the goal. And after that, I said, if the game goes on five or ten minutes longer, there's only one winner, and that was us. Yeah. But it, it was roughly 15 minutes after Sunderland took the lead that Fleetwood did equalise. And, you know, a ball was sent into the box and Flanagan almost seemed to trip over the ball, trying to cleave it. The ball fell to Connolly, who fired beyond Matthews. And, you know, similar to against Doncaster, it was a Flanagan mistake um, that cost us the points. James, what, what do you think of Flanagan as part of the back three? Because personally, I'm not a fan, but I know a lot of people are. Um, I don't mind him. I don't think he's as good as Willis, who would probably be in ahead of him if he was fit. Um, but obviously, that's not the case at the moment. It's he's kind of a typical League One defender in a way, similar to Chris Maguire, is that that's what players at this level will do is they'll they'll dip in and out of form and, and Flanagan's no exception. I I think he's a confidence player as well. But um yeah, it's 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 hard to say with Flanagan. There's, there's sometimes I think, yeah, you you're really good on the ball and you're a really good player, but there's other times I think he looks panicked as well, as yeah. as we saw as we saw in this game. So again, an, another difficult one and that I suppose that the the cases of of Grigg and Flanagan and, and Maguire and, and players of that ilk really underline where Sunderland are at the moment is that there is talent there, but it's it's getting them out of it consistently in a system that works consistently with a manager who, you know, knows what he's doing. Yeah. And um, after the equaliser, I don't think much happened. I know Fleetwood hit the bar, but one of the biggest talking points, especially on social media after the game, were the substitutions. Um, you know, by the time Barton had made five substitutions, we'd made one. Um we made our second change in the 87th minute with Max Power coming on, which all but confirmed that Parkinson was content with the point. He was trying to see the rest of the game out. And John, for you, when you look at the bench, you've got Diamond, you've got Embleton, you've got Grigg. Is it a sign for you that Parkinson's just not confident with the players that he has at his disposal? You know, as fans, we all want Diamond to come on. He'll inject pace, fresh legs into the team. He'll go on, try and win the game. Embleton will come on and create something. But Parkinson just doesn't seem to see that. You know, if you're Jack Diamond now, if you're, if you're Dan Neal or Embleton, you'd be questioning your future at the club, surely, wouldn't you, if you can't get a game in this team now? Yeah, definitely. Um, and he's he was the one who could turn around and said, obviously, McGeady's not getting in yeah. because the youngsters yeah. are here. And, and with it, with obviously games coming thicker fast now, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, um, he said the youngsters are going to play a hell of a lot more. I didn't really see the point in bringing Will Grigg on. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't just put um, Jack Diamond up there, like Danny Collins said, and just yeah. let him let him have a run. At least then he's not he's not maybe in a in um, a Luca Nine type position where if he did lose it, we we, we are straight in trouble. Yeah, um, that's more more of that for me. And then obviously with Maguire, why not? If he doesn't want to change the system, which he doesn't, why not stick Embleton on? I I don't understand why, even if it's for fifteen minutes. Do you know what I mean? It's we we have to try something different, but he just yeah he just won't he won't have any of the kids on. Like even putting taking Hume off and putting McFadden on, he was he was just happy for a point, no point gambling. Um, and then obviously he said this, said it after in his in his press conference that he was happy with the point and because certain teams have um, come there and won. And do you know what I mean? So he's, yeah, he's just easily settled. Yeah, and Ben, as I've said there, you know Joey Barton made all five changes, three of which came on at the same time. How much of a boost do you think that gave Fleetwood? Obviously, they finished the better side. They've got five players coming on off the bench, fresh legs. You know, how much do you think that impacted the game? Huge, and I'm a big fan of the five subs rules, and and it helps us because we've got a we've done something different this year where we might have gone and got 
probably 12 or 13 very good players. We've got 18 all-around very good players and the recruitment this summer has been brilliant. We've let go of players that wasn't playing for us and we've let them go. And Again, it's uh, an interesting one, but it's still nice to see us bringing those subs on because even though we've got them, we don't have to use them. I look at other managers, obviously watching a few games today, Josie didn't make us. Josie only made one up to the 89th minute, so yeah. it, it it shows you what you can do. And again, I, I do question. Obviously, like you said, there Parkinson making a sub in the 87th minute, and him saying, "Oh, we can't steamroll teams because the salary cap." For me, you've still got to use what you've got. You yeah. had longer than us to bring in players. You've had an extra probably six weeks to bring in players because we had the playoffs to focus on. And I don't really buy into that. And you can't really lack it options. You've got some good players on the bench. Embleton, um, Diamond, Max Power, we all know very well from his equaliser against us at the last minute in February. So um, it was an interesting one, but I'm, I'm very happy uh, us bringing our subs on early and it really swifted the game, in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, as Sunderland fans, we've always, especially since Parkinson took over about 12 months ago, the performances just haven't been great from Sunderland. And, you know, I've spoke to fans from Portsmouth as a podcast. I've spoke to fans from Doncaster as a podcast. And they've all said the same thing. You know, we seem to have a plan A, which doesn't always go well. But Parkinson, and I think Bolton fans said the same when he was manager there. He doesn't have a plan B. And as a Fleetwood fan, is that how you kind of saw Sunderland play on Friday? Absolutely. I spoke before the game when I watched you to do my preparation and I thought, I looked at it and it was like one way. If it doesn't work, they'll carry on trying it until it does work and it won't work in the end. And I felt like if teams work you out, that you're going to go down the wings and try and get pump balls into the big men up front. Then that, that's what you're going to do. And I thought you had the quality to do so, but I think we started to work out during the game. And I think as a manager, you've got to have a plan B of when things aren't going as right. And I think he doesn't have that quality. And I think that's maybe why you suffered. And I said, we'll get promoted before you get promoted while you have Phil Parkson in charge. Obviously, he's gone now. So it's going to be interesting who you bring in. Yeah, exactly. And um, we will move on to that shortly. Um, but before we do, we will talk about the player ratings from Friday's game. Um, and obviously, we will start with Remy Matthews at the back, who I think he had very little to do throughout the game. You know, he had a couple of saves to make. There's very little he could have done with the goal. But Every time I watch him play, I don't know why, but he just doesn't fill me with confidence. His distribution isn't great. But for me, I've given a five out of ten for Friday's game. John, for you? Uh, I went for a six. He was pretty steady. Made a good double save. And, yeah, just a, a steady goalkeeper performance, really. James, for you, Remy Matthews? Uh, probably could have done better for the goal, so I'll give him a six. Six. Um, Luke O'Neill obviously started as the right wing back once again. Um, you know, he contributed to the attack on numerous occasions. He put some good balls into the box, especially in the first half. He defended quite well throughout. There was a couple of times he was a little bit suspect, but six and a half, seven out of ten for me, John. Uh, I've gone for a six. Uh, I think he was bullied quite a lot as well, which yeah. it normally doesn't happen, but that's the way it goes, I suppose. James? Yeah, I would agree with John again. A six for me. I think he, uh, he was knocked off the ball a couple of times. Yeah. Um, Conor McLaughlin once again came in at right centre half, replacing Willis, who I'm not entirely sure what's happening with him. He seems to be in and out of the team with injury almost every other week now. But he came in as a centre half, and I say it every week, he definitely looks more assured as a centre half as he does as a wing back. And obviously, it gives O'Neill more, more freedom on that right hand side. But 
you know, I think he defended quite well, aside from the blip in the second half where he missed the ball completely, but obviously nothing came of it. So, you know, a six out of ten generic rating for me, John. Yeah, I'll go with six, yeah. I think he's pretty decent, actually, to be fair. James? Yeah, six again, just steady. Um, Bailey White, once again, started as the centre-back, centre of the back three, I should say. Um, you know, I think he was solid at the back. He was good in the air. Uh, a couple of them diagonal balls were slightly overhit a few times. So, again, six slash seven out of ten for me, John. Uh, yeah, I've gone with a six. I thought he was a little bit shaky. And he has been in f- sort of the last half hour of the few games we've had now. I don't know why. Because yeah. normally he's, he's calm and confident, is he, normally? Mm-hmm. James? Um, yeah, I would go I'll go with a seven. I think he was the best of a bad bunch. Yeah. And Tom Flanagan, once again, started on the left of the back three. And, you know, against Doncaster, as I've mentioned earlier, he made the mistake that it cost us the goal and did so again on Friday where he's, I'm not entirely sure what he's done, but he seems to have tried to clear the ball. He's miskicked it and he's ended up ended up on the floor. But for that reason, he's cost us the game, arguably. So I've given five out of ten, John. Uh, I've got another six fairly steady. He didn't make a mistake, but he did uh, provide an assist for Charlie Wokes' goal, if you want to call it that. I think that's a bit of a, <laughs> a, a stretch claim, but we'll let them have it, I suppose, James. Yeah, another six for me. Could have done better, but um, yeah, they were, they were all just bang average, weren't they? Yeah. Fair way of putting it. Um, Denver Hume on the left. And, you know, I say this every time I watch Denver Hume play, his inability to use his right foot hinders him and the team so much. Um, you know, I think he had quite a good chance in the first half to at least te- tri- uh, so, test the keeper. But he's dragged it wide. But you know, he made things happen in a side that lacked pace all all over, um, and especially in the first half. So again, generic six out of ten for me, John. Yeah, I've gone the same. Yeah, it was it was actually quite a decent threat, um, and we I think we do put a lot of pressure on him to um, to get us out of um, get us up the pitch, which doesn't always work best. Yeah, and James for you. Um, I'll go with a seven just for I've got just because I've got a soft spot for him, and I think he does, <laughs> as as John says, uh, take a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. Did he get the assist for the goal as well, or did I imagine that? Um, no, it was Flanagan. Oh, it was Flanagan. Flanagan. Yeah, yeah, yeah but no, I think is um, that just shows how much attention I paid at the game. Really, <laughs> I think it was painful uh, to watch. <laughs> yeah, his his crossing ability is good, but we don't cross the ball nearly enough. So I, I'd like to see him. You know, get the ball in advanced positions a bit more would be nice. So, yeah, a, yeah. a solid seven. And just briefly on Denver Hume again, there, James. I know a lot of people like him, a lot of people don't like him. Take Marmite, but obviously, McFadden came in for the cup games and he grabbed himself a goal. His crossing looked good, but he seemed to lack the pace. Once McFadden's fully fit, does Denver Hume keep his place in the team for you? Yeah, definitely. I think Denver Hume's a case of a player who's broken into the team. He's a local lad come up through the academy. and That's nice to see, but I do also think that it can count against the player as well. Sometimes you look at, you know, not always undeserved, but you look at the, some of the stick Honeyman got, some of it justified, some of it unjustified. We can be harsh on our own. That's not just a Sunderland thing. I think that's a case in point with all clubs. It'll be a case in point with Fleetwood, yeah. I'd imagine, as well. So, yeah, for me, he keeps his place. I think I think he's a real consistent performer. He's still a young lad as well, and... He's he's played for this will be his his second manager now or maybe third since making his his first team debut no because he made his debut on the roster in the year so you know it's been a tumultuous time at the club while he's been there and this this style of football probably doesn't suit him in the in the slightest to be honest 
he's probably one that's going to play in, in the championship um, long term as he gets a bit older. So I, I'd like to see him. Um, I'd like to see him keep his place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gwent Ledbetter, obviously still on the side, playing as a holding midfielder, and he couldn't replicate a scream against Doncaster, although I don't think he ever will. Um, but, you know, throughout the game, I think he was fairly tidy. You know, he cleaned up well at the back. He played some knee passes. Nothing spectacular. So, once again, generic 6 out of 10 for me, John. Yeah, same with that. Um, my only annoyance would be he did get quite overrun for the goal. Yeah. Which was annoying. James, for you? Ledbetter. Um, I would give Ledbetter. Yeah, it was a difficult one with Ledbetter because... He, do, he does look good on the ball, but I thought he struggled to get into the game and he was a bit anonymous, so I'd probably go with a six. Yeah. And Ben, just briefly on, on Grant Ledbetter, obviously, Fleetwood have their own experience midfield, although he didn't start the game in, in Glenn Whelan. How important do you think it is for a side, especially in this league, to have that experienced head in the squad? Huge. And Ledbetter, obviously, you can tell he, he links you all together and it's just that head and the way he can control the game and pass a ball and you know, like dictating really the, the fitness levels, when to run, when to go. And later on in games, to see out games, it's huge at this level. Yeah. Um, Josh Scorn kept his place in the side as well and played alongside Ledbetter in midfield. And especially in the first half, he was very busy. He was on the ball a lot. He was getting forward, which is something we haven't seen enough from the midfielders we have at the club. But um, he picked up what I would class as quite a harsh yellow card early on, which obviously limited him defensively. But I think based on his first half performance, I thought he was a 7 out of 10, but second half he, he dropped off a bit. So again, 6 out of 10 for me, John. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think he was um, one of the stronger players in the first half. And we did look to him to maybe be what, what we expect Chris Maguire to be. It's a strange one because Scowan came in as the... As the rat, as he, he likes to be known, you know, doing the dirty work, but he seems yeah. to be more linking the play together, and, and that's why he's not too bad at it, actually. Yeah, and James? Yeah, I would agree with uh, with what you both said there. Nothing nothing much to add, but I'd, I'd give him a six. And um, Chris Maguire, obviously the first of three attackers in the squad on Friday, and you know, I just don't think he did much in the game. You know, you're not creating enough in this team for a player of his capability. Um, you know, the thing he does create. We don't really have the attacking players to, to make much of it, but based on his performance, I don't think he did awfully much. So I've given him a possibly harsh five out of ten for me, John. I've gone with a four, and I probably I blame him as much as I blame the system for that. An interesting one, James. Oh, I'll uh, I'll sit on the fence and go with a five. I'm glad. So John, you're the harsh one there. <laughs> um, Charlie White, first of two attackers. Obviously, he was partnered by Danny Graham, but. You know, he'd held the ball up well at times and as we touched on earlier, it was brave attacking play to score his goal in the second half. And as James said earlier, confidence is key, especially for players in this league. And he's a player high on confidence. He's scoring goals and, you know, I think his general play is quite good. But again, like like the whole team did pretty much second half, he, he dropped off. His performance wasn't great in the second half. So for that reason, again, six out of ten, John. Uh, I went for seven. Cause I think he really did work hard and he, he stuck his head in, obviously, and won the goal. Um, got the goal, sorry. So, yeah, I'll give him a seven. John? Uh, GM, sorry. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll give him a seven as well. Did well to get the goal, put himself about a bit. And I don't think we we play much to his strengths either in terms of getting the ball towards his head, which is how he scores most of his goals. When we did that, he scored, but I don't think Sullen do it nearly enough. No. Um, Danny Graham was the last 
starting player and throughout the game, you know, I can't actually think off the top of my head of anything he did of note. I don't think he offered much at all and obviously he was replaced by Will Grigg who also followed the same theme and offered nothing at all by uh, another header from four yards which he blazed over the bar but Danny Graham for me did nothing in that game for me. I think it's harsh but again three out of ten for me, John. Uh, yeah, I've gone for a four. Total absolute waste. I think the one thing he did do which he could have done a hell of a lot better is cross to White and just put it behind him. Yeah. Um, James, for you, Danny Graham? Four, completely anonymous. I'm perplexed by his silence, his silence to be honest. I've been consistent on this all the way through when he was linked. I just didn't get it. Stick and plaster didn't seem like didn't seem like a good idea. You know, he's been here before. I know you've got to take that spell out of it because it was in the Premier League, but you've still got that lingering memory in your head and he hasn't really done much at all, has he? Barring a no. half decent um, performance in the checker trade against someone. So, yeah, I'm un- underwhelmed by him at the moment. Yeah. And do you think that's kind of the same thing with Will Grigg? Obviously, you look at Danny Graham as well. Um, I think it was two seasons ago he scored 15 goals for Blackburn in the Championship. Um, he scored, I think he didn't, I think he only scored a couple last season, but he scored in League One regularly before we signed him the first time. He was scoring goals for Swansea. He came to Sunderland in, I think it was 2013, he came in though. Um, did nothing. We've re-signed him. He's done nothing again. Do you think he has any potential to come good in this Sunderland team now? Or do you think it is a case of we've signed someone who's completely past his youth by date? You'd hope he'll come good eventually and you'll hope his experience helps the other lads along. Same with Ledbetter and you know, you'll hope that they'll be able to contribute. But I'm, I'm just not sure. It just, you know... He, he probably needs to play. He probably needs to play week, week in, week out. He's 35. Him coming off the bench and into a team, especially the way Sunderland play at the moment. Touched, I think um, John touched upon it earlier, but you want Diamond on, you know, yeah. last five, last pace, five yeah. minutes. Or, yeah, last 10 minutes with pace. And more often than not, I know he started against Fleetwood, but Danny Graham's coming into it and Sunderland are chasing the game or trying to firm the game up. And it's just, it's, it's not ideal for the, you know, for the last, well, for the closing stages of, um, of a game. You want pace up there, so... Yeah, another another Sunderlandism, I think, is signing Danny Graham back. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm sick of saying this, but man of the match is going to be a very hard one to pick, but I will try and get one out of here. So, John, for you, a man of the match? Uh, I've just gone with Charlie White. Worked hard, scored. You can't really ask for a lot more than that. Fair enough. James, for you, a man of the match, if you could pick one? Yeah, I completely agree with John there. Yeah. And Ben, if you look at the looking at the Sunderland team, was there any players that stood out to you as you know a player that you think any team in this league needs? Obviously, a lot of people think Chris Maguire is that player. He hasn't performed recently, but do you think there's any player on Friday night that impressed for you? Obviously, Conor McLaughlin. Obviously, seen him over two hundred times at Fleetwood. I'm, I'm a big fan of him. Um, but if I'm honest with you, I wouldn't. I'm one of those that. I don't think Sunderland have an amazing player in that side. I'll be honest with you that I think, wow, what a player I want him. And maybe Gooch. Gooch is a decent player without injured. But apart from that, I'll be honest, maybe a couple of years ago, I thought, wow, there's three or four good players there. Magic mm-hmm. being gone, obviously left the club. There isn't that <coughs> and I don't, think, I don't think I'd swap any Fleetwood players for any of Sunderland players. Yeah. And Aidan McGeady is... We will talk about Aidan McGeady in just a minute as well, but do you think Aidan McGeady is the player we're missing, John? Obviously, he's been so influential in our time in League One. Obviously, the first season under Jack Ross, we seem to rely on a lot. Him scoring the goals, 
taking the free kick, taking the corners. We've taken him out of the team and Parkinson says he was having a bad influence on the team. He was restricting the young players' uh, playtime. And since he's come out of the team, performances have dropped, results have dropped, the mood around the club's dropped. Do you think Aidan McGeady would improve this side if he came, comes back in? Yeah, definitely. Um, like you said, his quality from um, set pieces and just in general, say if he's in the position yesterday, if uh, Danny Graham puts a ball across, Boyk scores. That's that's the difference that you get with, with Aidan McGeady. I think it's a little bit, he's, he's probably used to a certain standard of it's hard to think what to call it um but with with parkinson's a little bit well let's be a bit conservative and whereas mcgeady seems to be a bit more no we need to yeah. we're sunderland we need to we need to you know attack to say if, if we'd have attacked a with a little, a, a, yeah yeah exactly but we don't we don't seem to have that that's what the club the whole club is lacking that and it and that goes right straight to parkinson um but yeah if you put put mcgeady on even the last 20 minutes he's gonna he's gonna make one or two chances which you would hope the the strikers we have would score, even putting Grigg in that. Yeah. Obviously, we did learn today that Phil Parkinson was sacked after what was a set of awful results and performances over the last couple of months. But, James, do you think this is a sign that the takeover is progressing and it's the new lad that's made the decision? Or do you think Donald or Rodwell or whoever's making the decisions at the club currently have made the decision on their own account? Oh, it's it's an interesting one. I've I've been at work all day since eight o'clock, so I've I've sort of seen the um the day develop as it were. Obviously, you have the reactions from last night. What's interesting is that this does have echoes of Jack Ross's sacking for me, but maybe on a smaller scale. I don't know if you saw, but um, Gordon Taylor, not Gordon Taylor, sorry, yeah. Gordon Armstrong came out and and made some comments about the potential takeover and Charlie, Charlie Methvin's yeah. involvement. Um. You know he's probably got that from a from a fairly decent source. You would expect, or um, and you know, is this second then something that's come along to to maybe deflect from that? I don't know. Does it mean a takeover is imminent? I don't know. It's you know, there's going to be a lot of speculation. Um, there could be a lot of coincidences. We just don't know how it's going to pan out at the moment. But I think one thing taken away the, the the speculation of it all is that Phil Parkinson probably deserved to be sacked. I mean, he took us... Yeah. We, we dropped down last season to 15th in League One. The style of football's been awful. You know, his, his points per game is... I think it's, you know... Hang on, I've got a day. I think it's about 35 points per game. Ross was on... Uh, sorry, a win percentage of um, of 35%. Sorry, it's been a long day. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> Ross, whereas Ross was on about 50. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, he definitely deserved to lose his job, in my opinion. But why he's lost his job now is a different question. Yeah. And John, how, how do you think this news, I suppose, will impact the squad? Obviously, there's another big game on Tuesday. There was rumours going around that a few first-team players had fell out with Parkinson. Obviously, Ledbetter was reported to have had an argument. Max Power, obviously, Aidan McGeady. But do you think it almost, I suppose, frees them mentally? You know, it's a fresh start, new manager coming in, new tactics to be implemented. How do you think it will impact the squad? Uh, yeah, I think there'll be a few who might be a little bit sad about it, but there'll be a few of them. You know, the you know the shackles will be off. You can't tell me that most of that squad don't want to play attacking football for the players. You know that we've got, um, and and what we're what the achievement aim is for the season. So for for him to go and then you know, like I say, we've got effectively a caretaker manager for for Tuesday. You would have thought that. 
the shackles are off a little bit and we can be a little bit more positive, obviously, going forward, as opposed to what we saw Friday, where it was very, let's just protect the point, which is, like we said, awful football. Yeah. And on Tuesday's game, do you think, with the, it's not a manager, it's into a manager, but do you think he's going to change anything at all? Or do you think it's going to be almost the identical team, identical formation? Do you think you might think of it at all? Um, with it, because he's he's Parkinson's coach, I think there might there might be some of that. Um, but on on the other hand, it he might see what Parkinson's obviously not done right. Maybe seen the reaction to some things of you know substitutes and that sort of thing, and he might have his his totally own ideas, which I'm definitely hoping um, he goes for definitely. But you know, just shake it up a little bit and let's be a little bit more attacking with some more intent. Yeah. Um, well, there's obviously been a number of managers linked with the job. Um, Gus Poirier, although I'm not sure how credible them links are, whether that's just based off what he's told people or not, I don't know. But Gus Poirier, I think, is currently odds on favourite at Skybet um, to be manager. Nigel Pearson's been linked. Um, Daniel Stendhal, formerly of Barnsley, of course. But for you, who do you think is the ideal candidate to come in now and push us up the table this season? And James, I'll start with you, Flatwood. Um, again, another really difficult one to say, but I think when you look at Sunderland's managerial history and you take into account the characters, um, and I'm not necessarily talking about personality here, I'm talking about delivery. Mm. So if you look at Moyes, was pretty dour. Um, yeah, Col- Col- yeah, Coleman was all right. Jack Ross was a, a fantastic bloke, but the delivery in what he said um, sometimes left a lot to be desired, especially when things weren't going as well as they could have. Parkinson was kind of in that similar mould. Um, you felt he was a sort of straight-talking, safe pair of hands, but didn't really say a lot. So, for me, Sunderland's the type of club, especially where it is at the moment, where it just needs one big F-off, massive spark, Roy Keane style. And I'm not yeah. saying Roy Keane's the man, but the whole place just needs a lift, whether that comes in the form of a takeover or a manager. It needs charisma, it needs, you know... And I'm just I'm just pulling personalities out of out of thin air here, but it needs a Brian Clough, it needs a visionary, it needs somebody yeah. who can see beyond trying to get out of League One playing, you know, a pretty turgid brand of football. It needs a long term thinker, somebody who, you know, believes in fairies and, and wants to kinda yeah. wants to kind of um build a club and, and has that sort of you know, a real football brain is what I'm thinking. But you know, Whatever managers suddenly get, it's very difficult at the moment with the um, with the setup currently at the club and the position the club currently finds itself in. My boss Ross Gregory's just just tweeted: um, Sunderland are now without a chairman, a first team manager, a head of recruitment, an academy manager, and an under 18s manager. And those are problems, yeah. structural problems that Ross felt. Ross was yeah. kind of doing it very much by himself, and obviously Jim Rodwell's come in to work above Parkinson. But how much help did he actually get, especially on the recruitment side of things? So for me. We need a spark, but we also need answers to questions at boardroom level and on a structural level as well. Yeah. And John, for you, if you could pick one ideal candidate now, who would you bring in to get us promoted this season? Um, I'd probably go with, there's been a lot of rumours about the Pearson Phillips thing. I'd probably definitely go with that. You've got a decent decent manager who can who sort of laid the foundations at Leicester for what they did. Not saying we're going to do that, but you would have thought that would... Um, that would be a good appointment, and obviously with Phillips, like James said, that would that would give the place a lift. And then we're not 
we're not having Phillips in as the main man and if it goes wrong and then this, do you know what I mean? It's we're almost covering ourselves, but that would give us give us lift. But again, even the Roy Keane maybe maybe he's not the ideal guy, but that you know, that uh, Aurora with him would would really ignite the place, but still the problems are still upstairs, so it doesn't really matter who we get until all those things are put in place. Yeah. And obviously a lot of people seem to think Kevin Phillips could do a job as manager. Um obviously if Nigel Pearson does come in as manager, there is rumours about Kevin Phillips being as you know, a second man being as assistant manager, but there is people trying to push for Kevin Phillips being the being the main man and you know, I think I seen a Coventry fan on Twitter saying, you know, Kevin Phillips is a hero at Sunderland, every Sunderland fan worships him. If he was to come into Sunderland and things didn't go well, he'd lose that reputation. Do you think that would be the danger of hiring someone like Kevin Phillips or maybe even Roy Keane at the minute, James? Possibly. Uh, I think the thing is with Phillips is, as well is that it's very easy to remember him as a hero now, but there were, there were peaks and troughs with Phillips during his Sunderland career and there were fans angry that he left and there, was, there were fans angry at his, his behaviour um, and like rumours of transfer requests. So it hasn't always been plain sailing for, for Phillips at Sunderland, but I understand he is a legend now. Personally, I don't think He's ready for to, to manage a club like Sunderland, the size of Sunderland, having only been a coach. I think he'd need to go and cut his teeth. But as John said, with um, with Nigel Pearson, he's somebody that really does bring a bit of spark and a bit of charisma. And he's hilarious in press conferences and he's calling journalists ostriches and stuff like that. It would be absolutely fantastic. He would be ideal um, for somewhere like Sunderland. Someone like, you know, I know he's at Middlesbrough and we've got no chance of getting him, but just somebody somebody with a bit of something about him, like Neil Warnock. I would love to see Roy Keane back, but yeah. would he work for the people who own the club currently? I'm I'm not quite convinced. And, I mean, I heard Gary Neville say that Roy Keane's probably a better manager now than he was 12 years ago because he's had time to study a bit more and he's been a coach here and an assistant manager there. But the truth of the matter is we don't know how good a manager Roy Keane is anymore because... It's been eleven years or something since he managed the club, so yeah. it's it's a real difficult one. But uh, with suddenly, it always seems to be the same old names. I, I wonder if we might need to do some outside of the box thinking. I know Jack Ross was pretty outside of the box, but Nigel Pearson's been linked with a job before. So has Kevin Phillips. Roy Keane is linked. It's the same old names. Not that that's a bad thing. Maybe one of those names will work, but maybe there's a name out there that we don't necessarily have in the running. Um, that could do a job. Yeah. And I saw an interesting stat on Twitter earlier today and it was that the last manager, the last Sunderland manager who lasted two years or more in the job was actually Steve Bruce um, back in 2009 to 2011, obviously. So, John, with that in mind, how many managers we've had and sacked between then, just how important do you think it is to get the right man to make sure we don't keep going down the same road of hiring a manager, things don't go well, we sack him, we're back in the same place. You know, how important is it to get this appointment, especially, you know, bang on right? Yeah, massively important. Um, and this goes right to the top, obviously, structurally. Obviously, we need the right ownership in place. And then it's down to them to make the right decisions, to get the right people in. And all those roles that um, James was naming that we haven't got people, all those roles need to be right. It needs to be all on the same page, all fighting and striving for the same thing. Um, otherwise... We'll, we'll be here forever so it's it's massively important and we're, we're lucky that we're at a level where if we if we do get that right and it does click then we should we should be fine yeah 
Um, obviously, time will tell until we get a new manager. But that is us. That is all we have time for tonight. John, Ben, James, appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. No thanks, Yeah, thanks for having us. Cheers. Of course, when the new manager is appointed, we will get a podcast recorded to discuss the appointment. Uh, we also have a different kind of special episode in the coming days, a one that I hope you've done a bit of research for, have you, John? Oh, so it's all upstairs. I've got all my knowledge already. Got a little book written. <laughs> have to say about that. Um, but we will be back on Tuesday, sorry, on Wednesday, with an episode to discuss Tuesday's game against Burton Albion. But until then, we will see you later.